Safe to serve. We have come to our last week in this series as we're walking through 2 Corinthians, and we come to chapter 8 today. But over the, the course of these past eight to nine weeks, we have seen many different ways that God has called us to serve now that we know that we're saved. We know that Jesus died for us. He rose again from the dead. He's now sitting on his throne in heaven. We have been saved through him. Now we're called to serve. And over the last couple of weeks, we've seen many ways that we can do that. We've seen how God comforts us that we may comfort others. We get to comfort them with that message of Jesus' resurrection. That we have nothing to fear because Jesus has risen. We get to point them to the unseen, the forgiveness of sins, the riches of eternal life. We get to reflect God's glory in this world filled with darkness. We get to be ministers of a new covenant, uh, the, the one that says Jesus is Lord and Savior. Not put on a bunch of guilt on people and, and weigh them down, but to remove that guilt as we tell them about their Savior Jesus and what he's accomplished for them. And in chapter 8, Paul lays one more way that we can serve, serve others because we've been saved. And it was a challenge for the Corinthians. And what was a challenge in 55 AD is still a challenge for you and me living in the 21st century. Uh, up until this point in 2 Corinthians, Paul has really been talking about the Corinthians and him and their relationship back and forth. In chapter 8, Paul introduces a, a couple churches as he wants to uh, give an update to the Corinthians on what's going on across the Christian church worldwide. And so he starts talking about the Macedonian churches, but he really wants to hit home the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was where Christianity started. Pentecost. Fifty days after Jesus rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit came upon his disciples. They were able to speak in all these different languages, and that day 3,000 people were baptized, and the Christian church started and was formed in Jerusalem. Shortly after that, persecution broke out against the Christian church, and the, and the Christians scattered. Twenty years later, when Paul's writing 2 Corinthians, the church is now pretty poor. It's bare. And so Paul is going around to all the different churches uh, that he has started and collecting a free will offering for them. A year before writing 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul sent one of his colleagues to Corinth to start the collection process, explain what was going on, and now Paul is writing and saying, finish the work. Finish the work. Before he does, he brings up some Macedonian churches. I'm going to show you a map here, and it's really small. You know, I don't miss much from the storefront days. So before we were here in the Divine Savior Church at our campus, we were in a storefront. And I don't miss much from it, but I miss my big screen that I was able to put big maps on so that all of you can see. Because I'm sure you can't really see this, but it's so important to understand the context. All right, so in the bottom right, you see the green down there, and the very bottom where the red meets, that's Jerusalem. And so that's where the Jerusalem church is. If you look all the way up to the top left of the screen, there's that yellow area. That's Macedonia. 
And that's, Paul brings up the Macedonian churches. Philippi, Thessalonica, uh, these churches are up there. You may recognize those names because Paul wrote letters to them. Philippians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. So that's where those churches are. Corinth is in the blue right beneath that uh, orangish-yellow section, uh, and it's in that red traveling journey. Uh, Corinth is right down there. Chapter 8, Paul talking to the Corinthians, brings up these Macedonian churches. Here's what we're told. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also uh, to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. All right, Paul says, look at the Macedonian churches. Look at the grace that God has given them, and look at how they've given. And we hear that, and we say, well, these churches must be the ones that Paul wants to highlight. These churches must be the ones that are wealthy, that have it together, that are stable. These must be the ones, when, when you're writing home and you're highlighting uh, in, in church magazines, these are the ones you want to show off. But notice that's not the case. How does Paul describe the Macedonian churches? In their extreme poverty. The Macedonian churches were poor. Not only was the church poor, the people who attended the churches were poor. So much so that Paul uh, describes them as being extremely impoverished, impoverished. They're extremely poor in their extreme poverty. And not only that, but they weren't stable. Paul says, through the severe trials of all the churches in, in the world at that time, the Macedonian churches were facing the greatest persecution uh, when Paul wrote this letter for preaching Jesus. And so you've got an unstable environment as people are coming and persecuting you and you're extremely poor. And yet, they gave. And you almost get the, the feeling that Paul tried to persuade them not to. Did you notice that where, where Paul says, they urgently pleaded with us. It's almost like Paul was saying, guys, thanks for being willing, but Yes, the Jerusalem church is struggling, but all of you are struggling pretty badly too right now. You are poor. So just keep it for yourself, and it's okay. But no, they urgently pleaded with Paul to share in this service to the Lord's people. 
Why? Did you catch it in verse 2? Their overflowing joy. What are they joyful about? Not because they're not experiencing persecution, they are. They're not joyful because they're, they're rich, because they're not. Their circumstances scream, we should not be joy-filled, and yet they were overflowing with joy because they knew Jesus. Because they knew the message of a Savior who had taken away their sin. They knew the, the message of a Savior who rose from the dead, who is now sitting on His throne in charge of everything. That even if they were to die, they would live. They knew what their Savior had done and is doing for them, and they were filled with so much joy that they urgently pleaded with Paul, please, let us give to this. And so Paul says, Corinthians, since you excel in everything, excel in the grace of giving. Corinthians, you are by far more outstanding you are by far more prominent. You are by, by far excel and have an abundance way more than the Macedonian churches. And notice, Paul doesn't even bring up wealth. Did you see the five things that he says that they excel in? You excel in faith. Corinthians, your faith is stronger. You stand out. You are prominent in your trust in your Savior. You excel in speech. You are more professionally spoken. You, you guys can speak, articulate the things that need to be articulated. Knowledge. You know more. You have a better understanding. Earnestness. You're more passionate. And love. You have deeper love. You excel in love. Excel in the grace of giving, Paul says. That was the challenge. And that's the challenge for you and me today, isn't it? Do we excel in the grace of giving? Do we want to excel in the grace of giving? I think that's an important question because if we look at the other five, if I ask you if you want to excel in those, I think the answer is yes. If I ask you if you wanted to excel in your faith, that no matter the circumstances of life, no matter the highs and the lows, if you could excel and be prominent and have a deeper and, and stronger faith, I think you would say yes. If I asked you if you would like to be a better speaker, to be able to articulate your faith better, I think you'd say yes. I know you would say yes if the question was if you would like to have an abundance of knowledge especially in regards to Scripture. That's what I hear more often than anything. Pastor, I wish I knew the Bible better. And so if you had the opportunity to, to excel in knowledge, absolutely we want that. If we could be more passionate and have the earnestness, we'd say yes. If we could have a deeper love and excel in love, we'd say, I want that too. But what about the grace of giving? That's a little different, isn't it? In fact, do you see the difference between those five and the grace of giving? 
Do you see it? The other five can still benefit me. I can be benefited with my faith, with my speech, with my knowledge, with my earnestness, and with my love. But the grace of giving is just that. It's grace. It's undeserved love, and it only benefits them. Not me. And so excelling in the grace of giving is difficult because it's all about them. And if I'm honest, and if you're honest, we have a sinful nature that is all about me. I want to accumulate for me. I want for me, not to give, but for myself. And so how do we become givers? How do we excel in the grace of giving? I don't know if you've noticed this, but Paul's kind of weaved through this section these three things. It's your first point today. Grace to gratitude to giving. If you notice, the very first thing he says, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. The grace, undeserved love of God to the Macedonian churches led to their overflowing joy, their gratitude, which led to giving. We saw the same process take place in, in uh, our Old Testament reading, Exodus chapter 36, didn't we? With the Israelites, as, as they leave Egypt, they're wandering around the wilderness, and they have nothing. I shouldn't say that, because the Egyptians gave them a whole bunch of things to just leave. But as they're traveling around the, the wilderness, they don't have a permanent home. It's not like they can just get a bunch of wealth. They're in the wilderness. They don't even know where their water's coming from. Uh, they have manna and quail to eat. That's it. But then God said, let's build a tabernacle, a tent of worship, and I'm going to dwell in the middle of my people. The grace of God came to Israel, which led to gratitude, overflowing joy, which led to giving. And they gave, and they gave, and they gave. They gave so much to the tabernacle that Moses had to say, that's enough. You can't give to this anymore. We have too much supplies. It's the grace of God that leads to gratitude, which leads to giving. It's the grace of God that touches every area of our life. That we sit back and we realize just how much grace God has graced us with. I am standing before you this morning with my heart beating, with blood pumping through my body, with my brain working, with my eyes taking in information, and how much of that am I actually doing and have control over? None. It's by the grace of God that he continues to make all that happen. It is the grace of God, the undeserved love, that he has given us talents and abilities, that then we can go into the workforce, and by the grace of God, there's jobs available so that we can work and use our talents and abilities to make money, and then by the grace of God, we can spend that money on shelter, on food, 
on water. And by the grace of God, we living here in the 21st century in America have far more than just our basic necessities. We have more than shelter, more than water, more than food. We have all of this by the grace of God. And it's recognizing the grace of God in our lives that leads to gratitude, which leads to giving. And so if you want to challenge this week, Monday through Friday, try coming up with five ways that God has graced you that day. And the, the challenge is you can't repeat. So if you say something on Monday, you can't say it on Friday again. But catalog the grace that God has given me today. The fact that I woke up this morning, the grace of God. The undeserved love of God. Grace leads to giving, or gratitude, which leads to giving. And if that wasn't enough grace, here's what Paul says. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. The Corinthians were pretty prideful people. And they prided themselves on their earnestness and on their love. And Paul says, all right, if this is what you pride yourselves on, let's see it. If you're going to brag about it, let's see you put it into practice. I'm not commanding you. You don't have to do it. But if you're going to claim this, let's see it. But then here's the real gem. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Notice what Paul says. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's your next point. Jesus went from rich to poor so that I go from poor to rich. Think of Jesus, the creator of the universe, the king of kings, lord of lords, the god of all things, the one who spoke things into existence up in heaven, not needing a single thing, having all his needs met, having everything at his disposal, can create things at will, do things at will, and he gave it all up. He left that environment, gave up the riches of heaven, and came here, where he still had that power, but he never used it for himself. Right? We, we, we see that throughout the Gospels. Jesus creates and, and makes food multiply, not for himself, but for the 5,000 people that were hungry before him. Jesus healed, but he never healed himself. He healed others. Jesus gave up the riches of heaven to come and live like us, for us, to die for us. See, here's what Paul's doing. He's setting up these two great examples, right? The Macedonian church, the church that has nothing but gave what it did have. And he sets up Jesus, who has everything, and gave up all things that you and I might be rich. Not with earthly riches. 
That's the thing about our, our God. How, how did he make us rich? Not with earthly wealth, but with heavenly riches. Jesus went from rich to poor. That we might go from our poverty of sin to the, to the heavenly riches of forgiveness. That we may go from the poverty of death to the riches of eternal life. That we may go from this world, the poverty where things run out, where moth and rust destroy, to the heavenly riches where moth and rust don't destroy. He brought us from, from poverty of shame and guilt to peace and grace of God. These are the riches that Jesus has brought to you and me as he gives and he gives and he gives. He gave up everything. Not only heaven, but he gave up even himself. Everything he had, including his own body, as he died on the cross. Why? So that he can give you the forgiveness of sins. So that he can give you the message that your sins are forgiven and you are at peace with God. And yet that's not it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is so deep because he went from rich to poor and he gives us his perfect record as an excellent giver. You want to talk about grace. Jesus gave and he gave and he gave. And then he says to you and me, I have this perfect record before God. I've given up everything. I give, I give, I give, I give, I give. I excel in giving. And I want you to have it. Jesus says, give me your stingy record. I'll take that. And in place, I'll give you my perfect, excellent giving record. So that when God looks at you and me, God looks at our status and says, that's my son and daughter. They're excellent givers. They excel in giving. Stephen Apt? No, he's not stingy like people think. He's an excellent giver because my son Jesus gave him his perfect record. Jesus gives forgiveness, gives holiness, gives righteousness. He gives it all so that we stand before, before God forgiven, holy, and righteous in his sight. And it's all a gift from our God. There's nothing we've done to earn or deserve it. It's simply because our God excels at the grace of giving. Grace, gratitude, giving. When we know the grace of God, when we grow in that grace of God, it leads to gratitude, which leads us to willingly and want to give to those in need. And that's how Paul closes up. And here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Paul says the willingness is there. Then the gift is acceptable. What's our motivation in giving? 
not a church budget. It's not because your spouse says you have to. It's not because you feel guilty if you don't. Our motivation is a willing spirit motivated by the grace of God, which leads us to gratitude, which leads us to a desire and willingness to give. And so look around this week. After you're going through the grace, the five grace steps, then look around and and who's in need? Who's in need that you can give to? Is it someone from church? Is it someone from the neighborhood? Is it someone uh, not even around here, but somewhere else in America? Is there another church that we can give to and support? Is there people outside of our nation that need love and support that we can give to? Where can we give? Because God's grace has touched our lives. He has saved us so that now we're ready to serve and excel in the grace of giving. God be with us as we carry this out. Let's pray. Merciful Father in heaven, you are a God of all grace and you excel at the grace of giving. You give and you give and you give. Your grace has touched our lives as You provide us with everything that we have uh, and even more. You've given us salvation, forgiveness of sins, the heavenly riches that await us uh, because death has been conquered through the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, What a blessing it is to know that. And as we are so consumed by that grace, let it lead to gratitude and let it lead to giving. Uh, Let us give and share with those who are in need because that's what you do for us. Uh, Let us love uh, because you have called us to love and serve in this way uh, so that nobody is in need, but everyone has, just like you want that to be. Help help us to care for one another, love one another, and carry out and serve uh, the best way we can. Let us excel in the grace of giving uh, because you are the best giver. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Part of the privilege in Christian work